0: Hey everyone, and welcome to Geeks Camp, the home of RPG goodness and general tomfoolery. My name is Zach, and today I'm bringing you a special little episode. Uh, this is the Morkborg third-party creators panel from Gen Con 2023. Uh, it features myself, Tony Vicinda at, as the host, Luke Stratton, Rugus Cohn, and a bunch of other panelists making some really great content. This was put together by Brian Collin of Vastgrim, and I hope you enjoy.
1: Hey, welcome to the creating Third 3rd Party Merc Borg panel. My name is Tony Decinda. Uh, I'm Chief Alchemist at Plus One EXP. And I actually have said numerous times this week that I've never made a Merc Borg third party creation, but that's not true. I did earlier this year on April Fool's make my first third party uh, well, Merc Borg. It is, uh, is Merc Borg Sewer Sal Beardball. Oh, yeah. Um, you can get it at booth 449 uh, in the hall if you want to. We need to get some in the third party uh, Cartelian Vault store also yeah. at some point in time. Um, but uh, I'm your moderator today. Um, I am not the best expert in the room, but we've got some really great ones. Um, what I would love to have you all do is introduce yourself, um, tell us a little bit more about what you do, and then we're going to go back the opposite direction, and I want you to tell me about one of your favorite third-party content pieces that you didn't make for Merkborg. So... Um, Rubus, you're going to have to introduce yourself and then say yours right away. Just say, you know, okay, right away. so... Um, no, 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 no. You're, <laughs> you're the last person to introduce yourself and the away. first person to say oh, oh, the first person. I just want to you to be big. ready because you're going to have to do both. Of the okay, same oh, I'm ready. All right, cool. <laughs> Luke. <laughs> Hi, I'm Luke and Limithron and I made Pyreborg and that's it. Where can people find you? Uh, 268, I've got flyers with a treasure map in case you haven't been there yet. Uh, and Pyreborg.com, Limithron.com. Yeah, I want to ask though, who was here last year? Is anybody? Obviously, you guys. <laughs> okay, cool. So we can talk about the same. Who we'll was just play last year? That's, yeah. I 100% remember that this was the question Perfect. I asked at the beginning of last year. I was like, that was a good one. Let's it's right there doing. on the laptop. Let's just do that and begin get
2: it. Hey guys, I'm Brian Colin. I make Vasquez, which can be found in Booth 2467 because it's published by Infinite Black. I've also made Crawling Death a ever-shifting dungeon crawl, and that's in booth 2151, my company, Creature Curation. And you can find me at briancolan.com for all the links to all the various places.
1: Uh, I, I'm Tony, like I said, creator of the much-talked-about party today, uh, Mork Bomb, Sewer Salve, uh, Beard Bomb. So uh, if you want your beard to smell like the series of Galvin Beck, uh, come by booth uh, 4049. I also play a lot of Morkborg games on our YouTube channel, which would be... Um, plus youtube.com slash plus one exp um, a lot of things we're going to talk about today we've played on the channel so.
0: My name is Zach Goins. I make uh, Seven to War of the Shackle, Numb, Rock Black, Hole uh, in the Bay, several different Morcork books I also work with Morcork creators to get their stuff into Kickstarter and to get it distributed out in the wild and have games ran out at all of our conventions. We work with the cartel to make sure that third-party Morcork stuff is uh, represented at as many conventions as possible every year. So that's kind of my role here. Hi, I'm Ian Long, better known as Cannibal Curator,
3: and uh, I read all your stuff, <laughs> <laughs> and I, I try to try my best to put it on online on Exlibris Morphorg uh, as fast as possible.
1: So, since we have some people who worked here last year who may not know, because they may be dipping
3: their toe into this, can you tell us a little bit more about Exlibris, really quick, just so people know what that resource is? Sure. So, it's a website that uh, contains like five point summaries and links. Uh, to wherever your product is sold as long as you've got the, the license uh, third-party license on there I will find you I will hunt you down and I will consume your content <laughs>
1: <laughs> Hi, I'm Rugo's Cohen uh, probably best known for the 30 days uh, adventure chapbooks and I uh, I uh, you can find my stuff at uh, the World of Game Design booth. I've got all, all four volumes of uh, my Zine there for sale. Mm-hmm. 2661. I like how we um, all maybe. like to pretend like you're intensely taking notes and not yeah. just. Gonna, <laughs> <laughs> and ask us again afterwards. You can yeah. also go over to booth four four nine and pick up some uh, Doctor Cone's Ball Bomb. That's uh, true. Along with the. the <laughs> The, it's time really time funny because no one's going to be exactly sure what you just said, <laughs> um, and uh, that's great. Um, yeah. yeah. But uh, and, and a real quick plug, if I can, there is currently for anyone that's interested a, a jam on a game jam on itch right now. It's uh, from Philip Jensen, the creator of uh, Trap Within, and it's a, a layout jam. So you're using uh, an adventure I wrote. And doing art and layout in whatever format you want for it. So, uh, check that out. It's on itch. It's, uh, Phil's TTRPG layout jam, I think is what it's called. We're gonna have Rugos and everybody share a little bit about their, one of their favorite third party MercMore content pieces that they didn't make in just a second. But to prep prep y'all, uh, the way that we do these, we really want this to be something that's helpful for y'all. And so rather than us sitting up here and saying, here's what we think y'all need as far as information goes, uh, we want to be able to answer questions. Normally, I have people have the ability to text in, but uh, I left myself under the booth because somebody needed to be able to run checkout. So we can't do that. Um, if you are not comfortable saying it out loud, just tell the person next to you, hey, will you ask this question for me? Uh, and we'll uh, we'll make sure that uh, it gets to the floor. But uh, feel free to ask things. There are no, not going to be any stupid questions. If you're brand new to this and you are you know haven't maybe even played the game, it's just really caught your eye or captivated your imagination, great, we're glad you're here. If you're an experienced creator who's done a lot of things, great, we're glad you're here. We, but we want to make sure during this time, we're really tackling the questions y'all have uh, about creating within this great system and within this great community. So feel free as we go through, we'll have you raise your hand, introduce yourself, ask a question, just kind of hop around to whoever is best. But, giving you a, a second to think, formulate your thoughts, even though you may have come in with some ideas. Uh, Rupus, why don't you start telling us somebody else's third-party project that you just absolutely love? Uh, I would have to go with uh, the work from uh, Carl Druid and Big Clamdash. I think, uh, as, as ridiculous as that is, and, and the, the meme it's kind of become of the community, I think it really encapsulates... Uh, the, the bleak, dark humor, and I think it's sort of the perfect example of, of, of a short but right on the nose kind of uh, vibe. Give us the elevator pitch for Clam Dash. Uh, you're hunting
3: clams. Clams of harm.
1: Yeah. <laughs> All right, for the person who's read every third party piece of content ever, I know. what's the best one?
3: <laughs> I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna say the best one, uh, but I will say that uh, that lately uh, there's a new creator that, that I've, I've been really into, uh, Shakespeare Spears, and uh, he's got some really awesome classes. I think my favorite uh, out of his assortment that's come out recently is Angelic Punching Bag. I'm quite fond of. Um, and uh, if you need the elevator pitch for that, uh, you're friends with angels, but uh, maybe not the best friends. <laughs> yeah, very good. Zach? Yeah,
0: I, I pre-assumed your question. I would love to say the Morcourt Beer Balm uh, <laughs> for its uh, delectable taste and savory spices. You, I'm yeah. glad
1: you ate it, that's yeah, right. Yeah. It, is, it, does, it will serve as a ration and a dungeon. Yeah, 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 sure. so. I did taste it. Yeah, yeah,
0: it's, it's got it's got interesting note. Um no, uh, I love it. My wife read the description of it and is like, you are not wearing that around. But <laughs> It doesn't really smell how like... It, how it. how it did she end up doing it. Out about it? That's well, she, it was, it was, once, once I subtly didn't say, hey, I'm wearing something that smells to smell like sewers, she was more... She was more uh, yeah, yeah. open. No, 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 no. uh, but presupposing your question, I brought my favorite with me. Uh, this is Whispers of the Dead Saint. This is made by John Baldisberger. It's the first Morphor novel. It's really cool. Uh, John's a really nice guy. And I like this because it's expanding the medium, the brand of Morkorg into different audiences. And I know John's doing the Lord's work at a whole bunch of horror conventions all across the country, repping Morkorg to people who aren't coming to gaming conventions and aren't gamers and are getting to experience Morkorg and find an access point in a different way. So that, that's my favorite.
1: Uh, I'm going to cheat and say two. Um... <clears throat> because one of them isn't out yet, uh, but it is, I think, probably my favorite third-party piece, and that's Farewell to Arms Redux. Um, I Murkwork is a desolate setting, but I don't know if I've ever really felt the desolation in play until uh, we played Farewell to Arms with the creator. Um, there was a moment in which we killed somebody, and it's like a, a World War I, uh, Galgenbeck torn apart uh, third-party project. Uh, <clears throat> we killed somebody, and he was like, Somewhere in, the, in a small hut in across a frozen tundra, there's a, uh, a mother reading a letter from their child who will never now return home. Like, they're just like in, inserting all these moments anytime we killed somebody. And I was like, <laughs> I'm depressed at the end of this, and it's amazing. So it's uh, beautifully put together. It's not out yet, but um, uh, Luther and set stuff always just feels so very singular. Um, I think um, Into the Blue Light is probably my favorite out of the work that uh, Chris has done, but Troll King and, and the other pieces are also. Oh, excellent too.
2: I was gonna say Whispers of the Dead Saint because I love like you. I really like the idea of seeing it branch out into other mediums. Um, and then I, at uh, Origins, I grabbed uh, Luke's new adventure. and one thing that I've loved about Merckborg and about all this is that generally we don't care if you
3: haven't played an RPG before because we just assume you have. And one of the things with the,
2: his newest adventure, it really feels like a hand-guided tool for all the new people that we want to bring into the community. Very and true. so I, I like how that's put together and packaged. Buried in the Bahamas. Buried
3: in the Bahamas, thank yeah. you. I forgot the name. but yeah. Well, thank you. Yeah. Um, I'm going to say
1: Orc Borg because mm-hmm. I love it. It's basically like 40k space orcs and you're on a shitty ship floating through space and fighting for, I don't know dead goblins or whatever. Yeah. That's, That's my favorite. Mm-hmm. Right. Retort, well, i trying to make that what Yes, favorite. exactly. <coughs> oh, I, and I want to give a, a retort to the other side. My least favorite is going to be Frontier Scum because he left Morkborg and I don't appreciate that from Carl. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> no, actually, I love that. It's an amazing book. I just wish he had kept it Morkborg. Mm-hmm. All right. Um, uh, but no. So, with that said, um, we're just going to dive in. So, if you have a question, feel free to raise your hand. We'll work our way around the room. We already got one up in the back. A brave soul. What's your question? And who are you?
4: Uh, Name's Alex. Um, curious what the business side of this looks like from like a licensing thing. Uh, like, do they just let you publish in the more Morpheus sort of umbrella?
1: Like, how does that actually work? Yeah, let's get back to Zach first. I think I mean, though everybody here has worked with
0: that extensively. I feel like you probably get the most. Exercise yeah. in this area, you and Ian probably, yeah, probably. Uh, so the fast answer is, if you go to the Morphorg website, front and center, there is a third-party creator button that will tell you all the little rules. Which there's not a lot uh, for how you can create your own content. You don't have to pay royalties. You don't have to do anything like that. But there are some basic guidelines. Basically, it just ends up being don't be a jackwagon and put this little piece of text that says that you don't own the Moorpark in the credit section. And you're good to go. Um, you don't send it in for review or anything like that, but just keep in mind that you're playing in somebody else's sandbox, any somebody else's playground, and even though we all like sharing, um, it is a shared space, so uh, play nicely.
3: Anybody else have anything they want to add to that? Uh, yeah, you, I'd love if you send it to me. Uh, my, <laughs> my Twitter is IJLong90, uh, even though the handle's Canelo Curator, and uh, I have an email address, uh, <laughs> Xlibris workboard, and and, uh, I, yeah, uh, I will find you, but uh, it's much easier if you find me first. (laughs) (laughs) Um, One of the other things I'll add, if you
1: are ever worried about a piece of content specifically, like here's something I want to put into it, I mean, one, you know, think about whether it seems like it makes sense, but... um, You know, the Talk More group, the More third-party creators group on Facebook. Um, If you don't know what Facebook is because you're younger than I am, um, then Discord is also really great, the online community there. There's there's great communities if you're, like, worried, hey, is this going to ruffle any feathers? Um, You could hop in there and kind of share it out. um, You know, and getting things to the table quickly, Um, you know, you don't have to worry about the licensing until you get a print. And so, you know, if there's anything like that that ever comes up, you can always source out to those communities. They they also do... Anti-bigot, anti-racist, anti-transphobic clause, which I think all of us are like champions of. But I think if you don't like that idea, then you can probably just leave.
3: Yeah,
1: right. so. Good. I'll then get up and leave right away. That's a good. <laughs> <sign>. <laughs> That's a good sign. I also want to say that Brian and I both have sub licenses, which require the use of the more Twain license. But if you wanted to make something for Vastum or Pirate Board. Yeah. Good. What was that like creating those for y'all? Was that just working? Was like, like the game? copy paste, <laughs> and replace? change words, just like. Right, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so. yeah, but what what was the conversation like with y'all? And did y'all did y'all reach out to Johan? Well, yeah, I do not because he did. So. No, I'm sorry, I didn't ask about. The, did is
2: I, I that like, Are y'all here
1: for royalties? Who are you? I'm <laughs> 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 The license the is there. Because we don't Mm. like to talk to people. There you go. So just use the license. Don't talk to us. (laughs) They prefer you didn't. Uh, Reach out if you have any questions. Yeah,
4: of course.
3: All right, next question. You can talk to me. Hi, my name is Max. Why did you pick more porn over other systems, or why would a creator pick more porn over other systems to kind of? do this third-party product? Is there something about it that you found that drew you into it? Or is there something like, obviously it seems like it's very easy to license it out? Is that one of the reasons you were drawn to it? Like, what is kind of the big benefits of using Wormboard?
1: Brad, you, Brad, you've got a really great story about this. Yeah.
3: So for me,
2: uh, my friend Ross, who co-wrote Grim with me, uh, our other friend Ken backed the original Kickstarter, and he got our friend Ross to run it for us. I hadn't sculpted anything in a while because of pandemic stuff, And uh, before that, I was doing like sculpting weird fantasy creatures. And uh, I wanted, as soon as I played and I opened up the physical book, like something clicked in my brain. Something way back in high school when I first got the Book of Nod from uh, World of Darkness, when it was like an in universe book, all of a sudden something shifted. And it's like, holy crap, you don't have to just have columns and columns and columns and Mm -hmm. columns of text. Um, And that made me want to sculpt something darker and weirder. So I made this uh, creature called a Warhound, which was, I didn't use bright colors, it was all black and white and just a hint of blue. And as soon as I did that, I was like, hey Ross, do you want to make a sci-fi hack of BorgWord? I think it's because it's inspiring that's the first reason to use it, because it's easy and because the third party license is so great, that just makes it that much better.
3: I'd like to jump in here. Uh, I think my favorite thing about MoreCord, uh from the creator side is that it's a low floor, high ceiling. Um, the community is really supportive. Uh, they really, there's tons of people who just want to help you out picking out fonts and deciding basics of layout and everything like that. But you've got plenty of experienced folks who can show you how to do some pretty crazy stuff with design software or with text and things like that if you're interested. Um, so really, you know, you can come in with a one page thing you can come in with a, with a, you know, 70, 80 page book, and there will be people who will love your stuff and there will be people who will give you feedback. And, uh, I would be one of those people if you ask me, uh, I don't tend to give public, uh, feedback, uh, given my position, but, uh, I will give private feedback to anybody if they're, if they're interested in a draft. Uh, that's actually my favorite part of the job.
1: So you're saying people should come find you?
3: Please find me, <laughs> <laughs>
1: or he'll find you. Here goes what he got?
3: So for me, it, it
1: purely was just a something that really resonated with me in terms of uh, the aesthetics, uh, the tone of the game. It had nothing to do with like a business decision. It never like I never set out like, oh, this is going to be you know a, a cash cow or something for me. Like, oh, this is hot. Um, I started fairly early on. Um, I think I was like the fifth or sixth person to use the, the uh, third-party license, at least according to who posted on Discord at the time. Um, and I had one of, the, one of the earliest products in print uh, that was third-party. So it,
0: just, it was just something that really kind of like touched a nerve for me. Yeah, real quick, I'll say, uh, I've been publishing for several years in the 5e space and working with people that way. And there's a lot of things that the 5e market will accept, and there's a lot of things that the 5e market won't accept for their product, right? Um, What's
4: a a (laughs) (laughs) 5 E?
0: So, Morpfort allowed an opportunity for me to scratch some itches that had been picking away at my brain for a while and create some more dark depressing or, or just morbid stuff that you know the 5e community would have walked you know, back away three steps from, for the most part, and that was a lot of fun.
1: I'll pick up on that and just say, like I, so, even as somebody who doesn't create in the space a lot, as somebody who plays a lot of those games, reviews a lot of it, has a lot of love and affinity for the community, Merkborg, um, I think, from the get-go, um, and I, I'll use the term voice, it has a voice, um, you know, it's saying something... And I think we were in a space in games where a lot of people were looking for specifically that type of voice and a place where they could say those types of things. Um, and that that has as much to do with writing, obviously, does as it does with the visual and aesthetic design of that and the way those things fuse together. Um, and, you know, I think we see that kind of resonance with some other systems that are out there right now. Um, but I think, you know, there's always the question of the time and the place that things come from, uh, the community that comes from, and the community that gathers around it. And I I really do love a group where people will go hard, um, but also be very concerned for each other. And you don't find that in every single RPG community. And I think Murkwork probably does that better than almost any other system out there. Um, Because you're you're doing these absolutely crazy things in play, but the system, the, the community itself um, and the tables that I tend to play around are people who are very invested and care about each other, even in the middle of that, right? So you see a lot of that come out, and it was done just largely through presentation. There's no extensive, like, here's a tool we want, but there's very clear lines that are drawn. I really love that about it. Uh, for me, uh, Morkborg was the entry into playing in the OSR. And for so from everything I think of when I think of the o- OSR... What's I, the OSR? I, well, the old school R. <laughs> R. Yeah. Um, so, like, I, I we, we took a break from my 5e campaign to play Morkborg, and it was the most fun we'd ever had. My group had ever had playing. And I just thought that was the perfect setting to game design it. Other questions?
2: Uh, so, Morforg has... Who are you? Oh, man? yeah, sorry. I'm Conlon uh, from Indianapolis. Uh, Morforg has a fairly unique art style, and I think probably rep, uh, represented it in your books as well. Uh, any recommendations on if you're not necessarily the best artist in the world? Uh, maybe kid bashing, Photoshopping, whatever you can do. Is there...
4: can i take this one
1: it doesn't matter
3: (laughs) yeah i I, I started drawing in covid so i think that you should just start drawing i honestly like i just you know study and study and practice and then eventually you can make stuff that works especially in like the more, more visual vibe
1: like you can get really messy and it works and then as your skill improves you can get less messy or stay messy you know
0: that's my advice i'll say real quick just as a counter to that that you know, if you don't have a design experience and you're not comfortable with that. Um, there it like, more work feels messy and it definitely is messy, but it's messy with style. Yeah, right? Yeah. And so, um, we all know somebody probably in our circle of friends or acquaintances that is a graphic designer or has a talent in that capacity. You can dip your toes in and I encourage that. That's, you know, I did the same thing during COVID, right? Um, results vary because Luke, We've got awesome and I didn't. Um, But um, you probably know somebody who can give you some pointers and help you out along the way. Um, It's, you know, it allows a lot of style, but at the end of the day, it does need to look like, you know, somebody. Knew what they were doing halfway, at least. So. Yeah. Well, and the public
1: domain thing. There's a, there's a lot of public domain in Pyroborg. It's pushed in the background, but if you look at Morgborg, there's a ton in there too. And hacking that in your own way might be your voice. Yeah. And I'll even throw out right now, like the um, if you go down to the Free League booth, the thoughts and prayers. Um, scene that they have there, like which is just a. I mean, you know, I mean, you tell people what Thoughts and Prayers is so I don't, I don't butcher what it is.
4: Uh, okay, so Thoughts and Prayers is a scene that we're doing for the convention season, the convention tour this year. Uh, and it contains stuff for all the games, so for Cyborg, for Mercury, for Death Space, uh, as well as things like album reviews, and we uh, have some essays and stuff. Uh, cool public domain that i found i just put it in there yeah but uh, the thing is that all the money goes to share it when you buy it so it's yeah.
1: like but that's what i was going to point out like it's just it's a total zeni zine it it's this great like just something that the the crew put out but my favorite thing when i first got a copy was flipping through it and being like there's just four pages of just really cool public domain art in here that would be great to drop in. And like, what well, is a fun thing to have? And there's some people who can do art, you know, who are, who are very good at this, who divine, define this visual style, just also being like, here's some cool stuff we found, check it out. Um,
4: Actually, if I because uh, those pages are kind of there to show, like, look at the kind of pictures that you can get for free. Like, you can use these things and you yeah. can sell, not for free. Just go to any museum, they will have a gallery with free public domain art.
1: I'd love to hear your thoughts on this the world. oh. nice.
4: Thank
1: you. I just wanted to add about the art like I've seen a lot of times people will be like oh well I can't draw like johan or I can't make it look just like this it's like you know what you're not Johan don't worry about being making it look exactly like whatever you make is fine like that's part of the 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 vibe in the community—it's like you made it, so don't worry about it. Don't str- if it's stick figures, like just you know, splash some red and yellow all over it It's blood, piss, and you know, you're good. <laughs> yeah. um, the cute thing about art, like one, um, I want to draw attention to, like one of the reasons I love Chris Biset's stuff is because there's a really defined visual style. And some, Chris will hire like Johann to do an art piece. Sometimes we'll pull things from public domain. Uh, but the the layout and the visual arrangement usually is done by by Chris themselves. Um, and they always affect something that very much looks like a Merkborg product, but has its own really strong, again, I'll go back to it has a really strong voice of its own. And so I think exactly to reverse this point, like what you can do can help define your voice. The other project I'll point out, because I just think it would, I think I would love to see what they did with something in the Mercorg space is, is there are there any small children in here? Because I do have to cuss to say the name of this game. Cool. You're in Space and everyone's, and Everything's Fucked by uh, Nevin Holmes. Um, Nevin did all the art themselves, and they were actually an art major who's, who dropped being an art major because people were shitting on the quality of their art all the time, but they did it in a soda bottle pen, so a pen they made out of a soda can and like dipped into ink, and they used it to do all the scratchy art for the game, but it's a total vibe that would fit in easily with Vast Grimm or any sort of Murkborg style also, too. Um, this is just a really great example of Go nuts on your own style and what you want to do,
3: and build the content you're going to make around that. And the Murphor community embraces that so well. I'd like to just just chime in here. Uh, start small if you're if you're uh, afraid of design or something like that. Start with a one page. Uh, just try to try to add a you know public domain image that you find. Uh, I mean, there's so much classic art and, and like old book lithographic prints that are wonderful for Murphor. And uh, put the text on there, uh, maybe try to do something crazy with it if, if you want, and, uh, you know, see what see what people like about it, and pretty soon you do it a few times and you'll have your own style. Uh, I mean, style really, at the end of the day, I've said this a couple of times, it's, it's nothing but mistakes that you've made that you learn to love and that other people learn to love too. Uh, really, you know, that's what makes everybody different, that's what makes art unique.
1: And when they're done with it, what should they do?
3: Please find me. <laughs> put the legal text on your product and on the webpage and uh, find me or I will find you. You will Thank not you. like it if I find you. All right, Sam, I'll
1: let you, I'll let you ask a question on yeah. this one. What's the what's the correct
2: balance of Doom metal versus black metal? 66%? <laughs> 66.6%. <laughs> yeah.
3: We got that
4: point.
3: Or 77.7. 77.7 seven is more appropriate for Merkboard, you know, yeah. For, yeah 77. Seven repeating.
4: Seven. Um, yeah, 77.7. any recommendations for software? Like
1: to put it out of new layouts? InDesign, Affinity. Okay. <laughs> Affinity. If, InDesign. Do you have how much? Do you have a, do you, have, do you have a lot of money just laying around to burn? No. Affinity. Affinity. No. Uh, if if you can afford InDesign, I like InDesign better. If you don't want to just throw money at Adobe forever, Affinity. He's right.
3: Are you saying Infinity or Up?
1: Affinity publisher.
3: By Sarah. Right over here. Hello, uh, I'm Tristan. To make a
4: say a scenario for uh mechanically, how do you go about setting it up so that the poor sucker with one hit point also has a good time? Because I've only run it once, and that was a bit of an issue.
3: Don't so, worry so, about I'm, that.
4: So <laughs> <laughs> you don't. What, can I can I
1: say something? I've never lost a one hit point character my entire time playing Merkabah. Now an eight hit point character those those guys die all the time. I have never lost a one hit point character. Why? Because I only have one hit point. And so I yeah. probably, and this is a thing I do regularly in games, and Brian can attest to it, I will probably not lick anything during that, that play. Because <laughs> <a hit point laughs> I might die. Um, but you know, what, but yeah, I mean, that's part of that's, players need to learn that reality. But from a design standpoint, playing omens, like in Pyroborg all the time, the classes that have the weakest hit points start with more, we call it Devil's Luck, but, like, they last longer because they have this ability to negate all the situations. But the answer is don't design for it.
0: That's, like, the point of the game
1: is the players have to learn a new style of play.
0: And, and I'll add to that, like, a lot of, I should say a lot of the games, but some of the games, and you can, you can work this into your own design, like, if you're worried about that, or if you have, like, I wrote a basically a dungeon crawl, right? Well, it's kind of a pain in the ass to introduce a new character halfway through the dungeon crawl, right? So in that case, Morph um, works great because it's an apocalyptic setting where everything's going nuts so in in seven aboard the there's death cards and if your character dies that just means you take on a new role in the game right um so there's there's opportunities there if you're trying to tell a longer story that doesn't have ways of injecting new characters um i like i like zombies and i like those and i like players that can do both so um, yeah
3: I, i'd like to add a short anecdote uh the first game i ran was a good old-fashioned murder dungeon and um after after getting past the, the like the mimic the second mimic that was a that was kind of a, a, a trap, um, they went to the acid hallway and two characters died uh, going down the acid hallway to find out that there was just a broom closet on the end and. Um, <laughs> Uh, guess what was in the, the room closet? Uh, there are two next characters. It was a jester I had I had somebody play Paul Troon and uh, and uh, uh, the Noble and uh, They they laughed so hard that they, there were jokes about them being in the in the, the closet together for like weeks uh, oh. surviving off of lard um, And it made the session so you um. know character death is is Supposed to happen. In I want to say fun. Also,
0: that that's why I suspect that in rolling up characters, like it's very often for somebody to get the small but vicious dog and somebody to get the monkeys. Those are actually PCs that you can convert. Yeah, it's just yeah, yeah. an NPC <laughs> PC later yeah, on. Exactly. Again, yeah, yeah. I've had plenty of players. Players. Yeah. Every every party eventually
1: is you know a number of monkeys and a number <laughs> of small vicious dogs. It's dog. yeah. You yeah, yeah, get yeah, out yeah. of a dungeon. Yeah. Um, but no, and I, I think, you know, more broadly also, too, like, if you're, you know, Luke, and I, I joke, that was like, what is the LSR Because it's the worst question to ever ask anybody on a panel. If people have not played <laughs> high lethality games and embrace an old school style, you do want to set, you want to encourage player groups to get prepared for the lethality of that. So talking to them about that, or, you know, one of the other things to do is, uh, right in an NPC that in the narrative is going to get killed off right away just make sure all the players know exactly how many hit points that one has so they can see exactly how we like it is very common for me in high valid games to be like oh and you've got this higher lane they've got here are their stats and i'm only telling them that so that five minutes later when I kill them they will understand exactly what they are getting in for. So you can do some of that kind of stuff but overwhelmingly don't think about it is the answer you know We actually buried the Bahamas that Brian was talking about it actually starts with like a super deadly skeleton raid on another ship and like the whole point is to kill players. I, we even say in the thing like, hey, maybe don't build characters, maybe do random ones because this is supposed to kill them. And then you let them survive a little longer once they get to the island. That's, so that's designed to show that off. Yeah. And that type of onboarding, like, I mean, I, I love onboarding adventures. They're so great. And actually, good old fashioned murder dungeon is actually a really great place to start. Yeah. Um, but I, I, I actually haven't grabbed the adventure yet, so I need to come by yeah. booth. What's, what's the booth number again? 268. You can pick up a copy of that. Also, we have ghosts and rats as player classes in Fireboard. There you go. Yeah, I'm Devin.
4: Uh, following up on this, Kyle, can you talk a little bit about adventure design? I really admire the stuff that's in the core rule book and um, the Bahamas adventure. So, and that's for everybody, too. Just like, how do you think about designing adventures that are fun and easy easy to DM?
1: So that's, that's really what we want to say. How do we design a fun adventure? How do we design an adventure that is easy to DM from y'all's perspective? So I, I really enjoy a lot of like procedural generation, uh, the randomness of it. And so a lot of things I've been writing lately have been kind of based around that idea where there's, there's different outcomes that can happen um, that may or may not be better or worse and what players roll. Uh, I actually just ran uh, uh, my fourth uh, chat book with uh, a, a podcast, The World Standard, and we completely just, like, they rolled the adventure as we as we played. And so um, I kind of uh, embrace uh, uh, cooperative adventure design in a way. And, like, they completely drove the story. And so I, I think it's more, like, for me, a lot of prompts and uh, generalizations. And then as you play, it kind of develops into something a little more specific. Uh,
0: so I'll say I like... Um, my philosophy is that complex systems need very simple adventures, and very simple systems can get complex adventures, right? Um, So there's a currency to complexity, and you don't want to overwhelm your GM or your players with adding layer upon layer of difficult or frustrating things or things that they have to keep in their head. The great thing about morph work for me is that it allows me to get all the weird ideas that I have for adventure design out of my head. So a lot of Randomly generated, procedurally generated tables, different card decks that I can use. Num that I just put out as a solo game that uses the Markboard rule set, right? Like it's really fun to get to go nuts with mechanics and adventure design here because the the base underlying system is going to allow for that. And those are my favorite third party system uh, games for it too, for the most part. Is uh, people that take the time to do something weird and funky with like this dungeon's all inverted and you have to figure out how to climb across the ceiling or whatever, right? Like that's perfect for this style of game.
1: And I also point out, going to this, you don't have to, you as the creator of the adventure also don't have to know the answer to a problem. Like, you don't need to write it so that there's a clear way to do a thing. There might be, but you can just basically be like, here are all the bits, like, figure it out, you know? Like, that's it, because the GM should be doing similar things at the table.
2: And on that, like, I like to write what the characters may know, or at least a table of what the characters may know and what is inevitably gonna happen. Because whether the party does this or doesn't, I'm still gonna go down to the gas station and buy a soda, right? And whatever the the thing is, something's gonna happen. They may deflect that, but this is what's inevitably gonna happen. And then everything else can be random tables or things to help build out things that will happen along the timeline.
1: Uh, I love that you're writing a new adventure right down there. That, that I, have, I have I have a lot to say, so I don't want to <laughs> miss it because I, I think this is actually a really good question, question for people who want to write uh, adventures, and I have a lot to share on it. So I just wanted to get it all written down. Um, when I started writing Borg, I studied Borg like it was like a textbook, basically, uh, to really kind of dissect like why it worked so much better than my in, my tenure as playing a five as a five E DM. Um, And the design is a big part of it, but also, like, what you're not telling them is, like, almost more important. Rather than having, like, these giant walls of text, you're saying there are these things, and when these important things happen, these things happen. But other than that, like, it's up to you. And because there's no read-aloud block, you don't have anything to read aloud. So you learn as a DM how to, like, explain a room without being told how to explain it. So, from Mortg's work, I then discovered Mothership, which has, like, some of the best information design I've ever seen. Mm-hmm. Um, I wanna, I just, a few, few shout outs here. Mothership, Into the Odd, everything that Skirples does from, uh, Coins and Scrolls, he does this really cool introductory adventure called, uh, Tomb of the Serpent King, which has, like, very detailed explanations on, they're not detailed, but very concise, um, explanations for, hey, GM, in this room, they learned that, you know, things have consequences. And in this room, they learn that they can learn things from other rooms, that kind of stuff, you know. Um, I also want to shout out Hot Springs Island um, because the way that they reveal information is mostly through through text, but also through tables, but tables with probability. So if you've got a table that's 2D6 or 3D6, you can show a GM what's regular and what's abnormal for this location. Uh, and we use that a lot in Pirate and I would suggest that for everybody. And then Gavin Norman and everything OSE. Uh, the, the layout and writing in those is perfectly designed for you to get it immediately without even pre-reading it. So I would check out all of those. But, I mean, also it sounds like essentially how, thinking about how your adventure design supports the GM at yes. the table and relays the essential information that they need in a way that makes it easy to communicate. Yeah, I think it's really important. I mean, it helps for me because I don't think I'm a writer. I'm a designer. If you think of yourself as like a story writer, you're trying to like get the story into the GM's head. Like, you're, it's that's hard. But if you just give them a toolkit, like you said, to like unfold the world,
3: then that's all you need.
1: You know? One thing at one. I, I wanted to say, that, like, the thing that was the epiphany for me was realizing, oh, there's only like two pages of mechanics with this game. Like, there's rules, and once you're freed of that, like, oh, I don't need to make a magic item that actually has some sort of like stat or rule associated with it. It can just be a thing that does something really weird and players will be excited about that. Yeah. Um, and I, you know, you, everything you asked was fun. And I think there's been some, some design things in there. And I think there's I think good design does help create fun at the table. Um, but as somebody who has played a lot of different things from a lot of different creators, I, I, I as a player love if I cannot figure out what the hell is happening where we are. Like, if, I, if I'm walking in and it seems... If, if I'm experiencing the expected, then I'm like, oh, we're going to do this. You know, like, it's just immediately not fun and I'm just guiding a character through a, a fairly predetermined adventure. Things like struggling to get to the end of a hallway and opening up a... Like, and dying, and then opening up a broom closet. <laughs> like, you know, it's delightful. Like, I mean, as weird as that sounds, like, it's wonderful as a player... Because it's not what I took. now. If every time you struggle down a hallway, it's a broom closet, then it stops being fun. And you're like, oh, it's another hallway. Like, you know, like, I don't like. We don't want to do this. So it's finding that balance. But d- again, don't feel the need to explain everything because the best things are going to happen at the table. And look for the ways that the the players can be having fun, even as the characters aren't. And a lot of that end is going to come through surprise and delight, and in a sense of not knowing what any of this is explicitly. That doesn't mean you can just abandon like motivation behind things, but it means you can let it hold it much more loosely.
0: The other thing I'll say just really quick there is there's not a one-way to do adventure design, and you should design adventures that communicate the information that you feel is necessary and that you would want if you were running it. So you're going to design an adventure if you're a very detailed, particular person that has what's in every room. What's the situation? And that's great because some GMs are going to gravitate toward that because they don't want to think on the fly or they prefer not to have to do that if they don't want to. And so they're going to say, man, you pack every, Devin packs everything into this book and it's exactly what I want. Other GMs are going to say, man, Devin adds everything to the room. And there's no space for me. So there's not a perfect answer. So design it the way you would want to run it. And I think you'll, you'll find an audience that way.
1: Another question. Uh, right up front here, yeah. Hi there, Declan. And the question is, have you ever tried to create something on a system inventor, hacked hack, and have it not work, and why? That's a great That's a great question. So what is something you've tried to design that just didn't work? I have one I'm working on right now, that's called Beneath the Masquerade. Uh, and i actually ran part of it today and i'm having a hard time with it it's basically like a bunch of random procedural tables for running a masquerade ball there's like a undead one there's a pirate one there's a like wretched cultist one and like writing it has been really fun and i feel these cool i have like a mask generator and a costume generator and a guest generator but like every time i run it i'm like what do i do like i don't know what to do and like I have to like basically come up with this like meta game for like okay what do you do this hour and there's like no plot so like right now it's not working (laughs) so I'll let you know when I figure out what happens. But also a thing you're also I'm hearing there is you're playing it anyway. Oh yeah yeah like you gotta play it right. You're You're not sitting there just trying to think your way through the problem. You're playing your way through the problem. I think you have to play if you want people to play it. If you just want to publish it and that's it cool. But if you want people to actually like play it at the table and enjoy it, you have to play it. So I I wrote something uh, for a uh, community project that Ian over here had run. And I really liked the idea of it. It was kind of an expansion of uh, one element of the Wretched Royal class. And I thought, oh, I'm going to do this for all the core classes. I'm going to make some sort of unique kind of like text using one of like the, uh," what I wrote in the the community project was um, you're the royal that came from the the doomed city The the island nation. And uh, I was going to do that for all the classes. And it just, I started on uh, the famed deserter and it just went nowhere. It was a disaster.
0: Everything that I've always designed is always perfect. Always been perfect. (laughs) Um, I would say I've got, I've been working on rules for a siege. Warfare system. Um, and I keep iterating on it cause I like the idea of doing like Helm's Deep style battles, mass combat battles, especially in a siege situation, but where you don't have to roll dice for 30,000 people at a time. Um, and in my mind, it works really well. I based the rule set off of the Pandemic board game. Um, so you're running around, putting out fires, and like there's ticking clocks, and if you're not putting out the fires, then they're potentially growing, and it goes, you know, Crazy, um, and it works really well for about fifty percent of the game masters that play it, and they, it immediately clicks, and they're like, "This is this is exactly what I want." And the other fifty percent are like, "This is absolutely awful," and I don't understand what we're trying to do, and I don't want anything to do with it. So that's my personal frustration. Yeah, sorry. Come to the booth, 2661, I'll give you the uh, the first iteration of it. Is so it a Markborg it.
1: thing or is it a... Uh,
0: that right now is a system agnostic uh, thing that can be applied to... Okay. Uh, I've messed it with it for Markborg and 5e and everything, so oh, yeah, it kind of right. works good, but um, results vary. But it needs a simple system
1: because it sound like it's a
0: complex place. Yes, yeah. yes, yes, absolutely. There we go. Yeah. Yeah. All right, uh, right there, yeah. Uh, Bill? Um, I'm new to the more foreign
1: world I haven't played it yet fascinated with it mm-hmm. um, I think I found it on a podcast or a, called the dungeon die
3: mm-hmm. and one
1: thing that
4: really fascinated me was the idea and I think I believe it was his
1: where him and the mess of buddies kind of co gm because mm-hmm. the world is so you know chaotic that you know guy could start a story go on and then he, the next guy becomes a GM. kind of, you know, as you're playing, you're kind of coming up with these ideas too where you'd like to
4: take the story and whatnot. Have, have you had any experience with that?
1: Does it work well? Um, or is anybody kind of like taking the time to actually think about that, having a group of people just kind of, and how you pass the baton off or anything like that? I mean, I say it's one of the strengths, and I think we see this a lot just currently in a lot of the... OSR, OSR, like, design community um, is, like, the embracing of anti-canon, which makes that kind of co-GM to pass around reality, because there's no centralized authority. I mean, I know Johan will show up at your house and punch you if you run the game wrong, and <laughs> if you try, but, um, No, but, there's no, there's no set canon, and the world is totally in flux, so it is easy, but I... I don't know if anybody actually.
0: Let's look, at, let's look at you. Has
1: anybody messed around specifically, or do you have you something that been A few
0: years, yeah, yeah, where we passed the baton around to GM and I'll say that um, it works. It will work exceptionally well with Morkor because, believe it or not, like all these third-party creators are playing in the same sandbox already. So the world is already kind of, and and the the, the core book is perfect for this, right? Because we only have like twelve pages of a setting at the beginning, right? So there's only so much stepping on toes that you can do. Mm -hmm. Everything else, like it's very like, there's dark points in the world and you gotta go fill out that fog with war and explore, right? These adventures all work together surprisingly well because the world isn't already filled. And so what I would say as what we did and what I would encourage you to do, is uh, for you to pick up Shackle at the booth and play it through Shackle, <laughs> what, <laughs> and what booth number is Two six, six six one. Yeah, and run run through that yourself. And then once you finish this adventure, the great thing about all the work, work stuff, it's really punchy, and you get through most of it in like three sessions or so. So then you hand it off to the next person and say, "You pick an adventure that will work somewhere in the same vicinity and run that, and it'll work. I guarantee it's going to work really well." But it's not yeah. like they were doing it during the same session.
3: I mean they were just kind oh, of, even uh, even the same so, that's what, so have we seen anybody release something that plays around with this at all? I don't think there's anything that formally plays around with it but that's how I play at my table generally speaking. Um, and if you're looking to encourage that at your table, um, it's really easy if you have a group of, of people where everyone has GM because everybody can kind of jump into it uh, and kind of knows how to, to navigate a scene. Um, I have I an have established gaming group that I've been playing with. I don't play online much, but I have like a 15 year gaming group, and we've all run games for each other. And so it was very easy for us to just, somebody says something that's really cool, and, um, you know, you're running the game, and it's okay, that's happening now. Like, you know, just, you just, you don't, you don't have to formally pass the baton. You know, it it could just be, like, if you were playing with people who have a GM before, and somebody... Because I, I see this all the time in games, right? People, people like, will step back out of character and be like, wouldn't it be amazing if this happened? And then you just say, that's happening. You know, like, wouldn't it be amazing if, if, like, lava just came down from the ceiling? Because I remember it was up in that room, you know, two levels above, and then boom. Like, yeah, okay, it's leaking through the, it's leaking through the, the ceiling. And... You know, and you do that to, to players, and you give them the chance to to, to add something, just ad lib. They will they will run with that. Uh, I mean, I mean, that, there's nothing more fun than that. Um, so you know, try it out. It doesn't have to be formal. In a similar vein, in, in forms of rotating
2: around, but in the creating third party content context, um, I was told by, there's a couple of writers that are doing. Uh, guest adventures for some vast script stuff, Walton Wood, Tessa, and Rugo's, and they, amongst themselves, had it so that their stories are, have a thread between them in a way so that they can connect. So you can partner with other people and have loose connections between them. So even though it's not necessarily the GMs, but the adventures with different folks uh, that are trying to organize and create stuff.
1: But but I also think, looking, I mean, like that's a fun place to play in, Um, Even thinking about how the GM baton passes and creating something diegetically within an adventure that shifts that could be a really interesting place or thing to play around with from a design perspective. It sounds like something untapped from an explicit standpoint. So if that's an idea you're interested in, like That that's, would be like really cool to see something like that come out. Um,
0: How long have you been keeping diegetically in your pocket? <laughs> uh,
1: but it comes out of my pocket all the time.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Look,
1: I, I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm a pedant, and so, um, you know. <laughs> you, Sam, what was that? What was the, uh... I feel
4: like your standards of pedantry are so low.
1: <laughs> no, I just, I, I feel like I say it again and again, then people will come up and constantly affirm me that I'm not a pedant. Uh, and I'm really just very vain and want people to tell me nice things about me, so thank you, thank you. Tony, can you tell us about your new Mark Borg store that you're helping I, with? I, it's not mine at all. I am helping with well, it. you helping, though. So I, I was just going to I was that. trying to fluff your ego. Well, yeah. thank you for fluffing my ego. Uh, no, uh, I was actually going to see um, if, uh, if, Johan, do you want to talk a little bit about the third-party store um, and the fact that it exists? Because if I say things that may not be what you want me to say. And I so I want to make sure. No, just if, so so cartelian Vaults, right? Uh, if you go to Cartelian Vaults, it's the new uh, Stockholm Cartel store. But they all are looking to stock a lot of third party content. Um, I know that most of the creators up here have either product inbound or. Well, if you don't like, talk to me, yeah, want to get, we want to carry it. Yeah. Rugos just it. dropped boxes off at my booth and said, "Take this back." Johan said it was fine. Yeah, um, yeah. But if you're creating in this space, um, the cartel is doing something really good to help support that. Will you talk about it a little bit?
4: No, yeah, so my idea is that uh, there should be a store where if you're interested in 3rd stuff, that's where you should go and buy it and that the like, official stuff should be on the same level as the third-party stuff so because it's all one one store in a way. And yeah, because a lot of these things are kind of scattered around in different stores and like, from stores and everything. So It would be nice to just collect it all and have it yeah. in one
1: place. And so, if you're, if you're getting ready to print something, if you've got something that, you know, is mostly done that you can show the team, if you're in a Kickstarter and you want to know, hey, how many should I print? You, you should reach out to Johan before you pay for your print run to know, hey, do you want, you know, 20 copies or 50 copies? And I won't say any higher numbers than that because I don't know that Johan wants more than that. Uh, but, uh, he, but he might, he might. So reach out ahead of time. Um, Uh, I can't
4: can't promise that I'll buy everything right uh, but uh, but, yeah no and And I I would
1: uh, say um, so at Plus One we play a lot of stuff Uh, we do have a connection uh, to the to the cartel and ball store and help with some of the back end on that but if you have a product in development we love playing like so we do marketing for a lot of people's games right so if you have a merc product that you want played on stream when, when it's about to release when you're play testing it when it's in Kickstarter reach out to us we'd love to talk to you about doing it uh, but then it also lets me talk to Johan and be like, "Hey, I played this. Uh, it doesn't suck. You should get this many copies, right?" Uh, and that, again, not a guarantee, but it lets me be an advocate uh, to say, "Hey, not only is this out, but I've played it and know what it's like and can make a recommendation uh, one way or another." Um, I tend to if I if I would not recommend it, I would tend to tell you why ahead of time and give you the opportunity to do something about that because I'm always I'm a very positive like uh, reviewer in the space. I am very critical and private, though. So if it's not where it needs to be, I will tell you. Um, but when you can do something about it, not after you print it out, two hundred copies of it. I know I, we're out of time, but when I came on and played fireboard with Brian, Brian like cut a goat's head off and like used the blood for some like super satanic shit, and I was like, this just got so real so quick. <laughs> it, was it was great. It was one of my favorite places. Last question, and then we're gonna we're gonna pop
2: potential questions. One is about zines, one is about OSR, and one is about beer. Which one should I
1: ask? Yes. Wait, wait, what was the last one? Beer. Beer? beer? No, that was not beards, it doesn't matter. Uh, just the first <laughs> thing, I'm just kidding. Um, uh, <laughs> start with zines. Okay. Uh,
2: was the um, kind of organic uh, development of, here's a bunch of small books, here's a load of zines that are like 15 bucks a pop, super accessible. Was that uh, something that was and on behalf
1: of uh, more important uh, development or was that something that was just hey lightning like, struck at the right time with like zine quest and stuff? Look, if if you want to talk about zines. Now uh, <laughs> no I mean like so zines zines really are something that is like zines formed the RPG hobby. Like if you go back and you look at Dungeons and Dragons, it was zines. It wasn't it was hobby publications. It wasn't the... <coughs> A4 full-color hardback books, and so it's always been a part of it. I do think we're certainly seeing a resurgence of that, and Merkboard came along in the middle of that, but it's already, it's an A4 format. What? You created it? You did no, it all? No no, no,
4: no, I'm just agreeing. Yeah. yeah. No, 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 never <laughs> You don't
1: have to do it all, no. Yeah, they came along in the middle of that. It's an A4 format, and so people tend to Bye. duplicate it. A5, thank you. a <laughs> uh, I'm, British. Um, but like pamphlets are just, hold up your pamphlet. Pamphlets are just as great and oftentimes a more economical way. You get about eight pages worth of information onto a, you know, two sided piece of paper. Um, and so there's a lot of great ways to play around with it. But because of the light nature of the rules, you can do a lot with that. And I think zines are just have always often, have oftentimes in modern RPGs been massively underestimated. We're just seeing them kind of come back as a really great way to publish things. Anybody else want to say why they love zines? No, I think we should
2: bounce so we respect the
1: people that are coming in. Ah, and no questions about the OSR will ever be allowed. Um, if you did not turn in your tickets, please turn in your tickets. Um, tickets, please. Yeah.
3: Um, uh, thank you all for coming. Really-